you'll have to uh, somebody have to tell me who's got children church. Lisa and Ernie. Lisa and Ernie. All right. So twelve and under. Go over for children's church. And while they're heading over, uh, if you want to walk, mark in your hymnals, number 358, Where He Leads Me. All right. Excellent ministry to get involved with, folks. If you're, if you're looking for some place to serve, Lisa can always use the extra help and just let her know. Uh, if you've never been involved in a packing party, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, of course, as she said, we're going to make it so that uh, whether you, you want to do it church-wide or if you have uh, health concerns that you're uh, able, we're able to do just uh, individual packing parties as well. Prayer is the biggest thing. All right. Well, good morning again. If you're visiting or logging into Facebook or YouTube, we want to welcome you. And certainly uh, good to have you with us. I want to invite you to be here with us in person if you can be. And it's always a privilege for me to share in God's word with you. As I do oftentimes before I write a sermon on Saturday evenings, I will come up and turn my computer on and, and go through and just look at the headlines and, and start trying to see what's, what's going on because I don't watch a lot of news. Uh, and, but I do try to keep up with what's going on. And, and I was flipping through on the internet last night, and I seen an article that caught my eye. The writer of this article claimed that he, they believed in God, uh, said he just had problem with the church on how it controlled people. And one of the things that he said that the church uses to control people was the concept of hell. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that hell was just a concept. Uh, and that's began to, uh, coupled with the fact that I was going through some of the surveys uh, that you had already turned in, and someone had suggested uh, a sermon about hell and it being real. And I thought, well, I can, I can address, you know, kill two birds with one stone here. Because as I began to dig around and do some more research uh, on this and to think on this, I went to a few research polls, and about this hell is only a concept thing. And uh, the research poll from uh, last uh, spring said 79% of Christians believe in hell. Did that sink in to you? 79% of Christians believe in hell. Why is that not 100% of Christians believe in hell? Now, that, that led me to look a little deeper in this. 45% of Christians surveyed believe you can go to heaven even if you don't believe in God. Yeah, the United States. That was only United States, folks. And here's the thing that I, as I began to research deeper into this poll that they did, the, that belief covers within 1%, plus or minus, all age groups, 18 to 65, all religions across the United States. So it's not just young people, not just old people. It, it's everybody within plus or minus one, one point. That's what we believe. Why is that what we believe? Because it's what we're being taught, or the lack of what we're being taught, I believe. I believe that, that we have, have done a disservice. So this morning, I'm going to make sure that everyone here knows what the Bible says about hell 
and is able to answer this question, which is the title of the sermon, what are we saved from? What are we saved from? And I want you to, to just think about that just for a moment and, and what's your immediate answer that comes to mind. Because we, we seems to be a lot of varying things on that, what people believe that we're saved from. So what is it that we're talking about? Well, to answer that question, as far as Scripture is concerned, it's, it's really pretty simple. We want people saved from eternal punishment. That's what we're saved from. The Bible speaks of that occurring in a place called hell. In the Old Testament, it's Sheol. Makes a reference to the to hell in a general way. New Testament, it's Hades, which is, is Greek, and that's sometimes referenced that word. But it's always the word hell, and it's always worth referencing back to hell. The Greek word Gienna is used to describe that. And it's used in the book of Revelations as to be descriptive of the lake of fire is what this is, where people are punished and tormented forever. In our society... And I think you would agree with me with what I'm about to say because this is going to be one of those sermons that I don't intentionally, didn't intentionally write this or walk up these steps this morning to stomp on anybody's toes. And that's not my intent. But this is the truth. When we step back and look from the outside in, this is the truth of the fact of the matter. In our society, we have distanced ourselves from the reality. Certainly, in general, you could say the church has overlooked passed over, ignored, and even those who claim to be preachers do not ever talk about hell. They will not talk about hell. They ignore it and they, and they avoid it at all costs. When the simple fact is, the truth of the matter is, we ought to be talking about hell first and foremost in our sermons, in our teachings, uh, in our churches. Why is that, Rob? Well, why is that? We'll find out here just shortly. The world that we live in has no idea that they need salvation or a rescue from hell. We, are, we live in a world that sin is freely exploited. Sin is so much a part of our culture that every imaginable sin is acceptable today. Have you ever thought about that? Every imaginable sin save pedophilia is acceptable in our society today. And there is a group, there is a group, I, I am sad, sickened to say, there is a group that is trying to make minor attracted persons legal. You know what that is? That's pedophilia. And there's a group out there. Look it up. You can find it. I'm not making this up. This is the fact of life. The society that we live in you can't find outrage over adultery. You don't find outrage over homosexuality. You don't find outrage over lying, cheating, stealing. Murder is still unacceptable unless the person doesn't deserve to die. And then certainly the murder of a child is always going to bring outrage. Am I wrong so far? Has, can anybody want me to stop? Because this is the world that we live in and we got to take our blinders off, folks. We got to take our blinders off to what we are experiencing in this world. We're very used to sinning, very used to sinning. We're comfortable with sin in this society. And consequently, society has very few consequences that 
they place on people who do sin. So when you grow up in a world where things that were once defined as sin are no longer defined as sin and their behaviors no longer have consequences and society were the example where, here's an example, uh, Junior comes home 12 years old and announces to his mother that he's a homosexual, he's coming out as gay. Well, automatically, mom becomes an advocate for homosexuality, and I've heard it stated before in videos, I'm going to support my child in their decision. And that's what it is. That's the society we have evolved to today. And you could plug that in with any sin. Well, I'm going to support my adulterous child in their decision. There are no consequences for sin in our society. Why? Why is that? Why is that? Why is there no fear of hell? Because we're not preaching hell. And in fact, we'll see here in a little bit, we are diluting hell. There's a warped sense of good and evil. It's distorted. It's a distorted understanding of justice. We know, rather we don't know, what sin is. Sin is something that I could never do. That's how we look at it in our society. I don't sin. Unless something that I do hurts someone, then it might be a sin, but I don't sin because plug in however you want to look at it. I'm allowed to make up my own truth. I'm allowed to, to live my life the way I want to live. I'm allowed to make my own decisions. God's word is subjective to me. I'm allowed to decide what it says because I'm allowed to interpret the Bible the way I feel. That's the society that we live in. But because society has led us that way, does that make it to truth? No, it does not. It does not make it to truth. And the truth is, if culture imposes no consequences, if family imposes no consequences, the society places no stigma for people, for their behavior, their sinful behavior, people get so used to sinning without those consequences that you introduce the idea of punishment that's foreign to them. Well, why would I be punished for doing something that no one else objects to? No one on this earth objects. There's no, there is no penalty for the sin that I have committed. You go back and you look in the history of this country and the history of the laws in this country, there used to be, and, and you've heard of them, the blue laws. That used to be a crime to miss church. There used to be crime. There used to be punishment for committing adultery. And as our society has evolved, those punishments have went away. Those stigmas have went away. Those consequences have went away. You ever wonder why? That's why it's so hard to sell the concept of hell. And if you, don't, if you can't convince people there's a hell, why on earth would you need to convince them that there's a heaven? Romans chapter 2. Turn with me in your Bibles, please. And, and here's the thing about it. People who sin without immediate consequences, and they, you try to convince them of that, they don't understand what Paul writes here. But after the hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of righteous judgment of God, you can keep right on sinning. You can keep right on sinning each and every day. You can, as a Christian, 
Listen to me. As a Christian, you can go right on sinning day after day after day. And guess what? Most likely, there's not going to be any immediate consequences to what you do. You understand that? Most likely, there's not going to be immediate consequences to what you do. But you're doing what Paul says here. Is you're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. And that's the way this society is going today. They continue to sin and sin and sin and sin. No consequences. If I'm not receiving any kind of consequences, it must not be wrong. Well, that's wrong, folks. That's what the devil is blinding us with. Well, God didn't strike me dead for doing that. I didn't suffer no kind of consequences. I guess it's okay. I'll just keep on doing it. And all I got to do is say I'm sorry. I don't have to repent. I don't have to turn away from that behavior. All I got to do is just keep on going and say I'm sorry every once in a while and it's, I'm good. Repentance means turning away, by the way. You turn your back on it. You change. You don't do that anymore. You go away from it if it all work every way possible. But you're not getting away with nothing. We're not getting away with any of our sin. No fornication, no adultery, no sin of the mind, no sin of behavior, no sin of the lips, no lie, no deception, no cheating. We're not going to get away with it. This society's not going to get away with it. Christians are not going to get away with it, folks. It's not happening. You're storing up wrath for the judgment of God. We're going to need a big old storehouse, big old building to put all that wrath in in this nation because we have turned our back on the righteousness word of God. The truth of God we have turned our backs on by accepting, and we accept it because there's no consequences for it. The church doesn't even discipline today. The Bible gives us discipline measures for those that are sin within our, within our confines, but we don't do it. Why? Why do we not do it? I ask you these questions because I want the wisdom, the collective wisdom of all of you people that's watching and, and here this morning. I want you to explain to me why we have abandoned what God's word says in this matter. I can't figure it out. Parents, and this is probably some of the most significant things that we, we do in this society, especially those of you who are involved with young people in the education system or outside the education system in some other way, whenever parents do not teach their child that their sin or their behavior has a painful consequence, guess what happens? That behavior is unchecked. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And anyone in this educational system today, and it's not just Kentucky, it's all across this nation, that doesn't believe that has blinders on and, and they shouldn't be in the educational system. Because you hear people talking about it. Whenever we train drivers uh, my age and, and those that are a little bit older and they come back and they say, boy, kids sure act different than whenever I used to ride a school bus. You know why? Because whenever I rode a bus or when I went to school, and it's not been that long ago, if I got in trouble at school, I got in trouble at home worse. And if I got in trouble on the bus, I got in trouble at school and at home. Kids don't get in trouble no more. You know why? Because somehow it's all of a sudden your fault. It's your fault because that child is behaving the way they're behaving. Because parents will not discipline their children. Parents will not tell their children, teach their children that there is consequences for sin and they are painful. Amen. 
We're going to find out the painful consequences of sin someday, folks, I assure you. Because I believe in the truth of this book. We need people to tell people. People need to understand that unforgiven sin, every sin committed by every person who rejects Jesus Christ will be justly punished by God forever in a place called hell. H-E-L-L. -L, hell. We need to get that word back in our vocabulary because it's in the Bible plenty. And that's what we have to understand. And it's not a new thing. If you look back in Deuteronomy, and, I, and this begins to kind of look at the concept, Deuteronomy 32, verse 22. Deuteronomy 32, 22. Listen to, to what... Uh, Moses writes here, says, For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn into the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. So there we see it in Deuteronomy. The fire of the Lord is kindled, and it will burn to the lowest hell. Now, let's spring forward to the New Testament. I just wanted to give you that little bit of a background on hell in the Old Testament, that it's not a, it's a, it's an old concept, but it's a, not a new concept either. Because Jesus preached on hell a lot, a lot. In Matthew, he preached on hell or mentioned it nine different times. So I want you to turn over to your in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, and that's where we're going to start looking at Jesus as a preacher of hell, fire, and brimstone, so to speak. Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-two. And if you think you're going to be first to the restaurants today, I'm sorry to disappoint you. You won't be, because I'm on page two of five. Matthew chapter 5, 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of what? Hell fire. That's Jesus Christ saying that, not Rob Hale. I'm just reading it. Hell fire. And this is just the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is at the beginning. He goes all the way throughout his ministry and he preaches about what? Salvation and the opposite of that, which is hell. Look over in verse 29. Same chapter, verse 5, 29. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, I'm reading 28, sorry, after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that thou, that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into where? Hell. Do you think Jesus preached about hell? I think he preached about hell, and I've just read two verses. And both of, both of those times, he is talking about behavior of us. And that one particular one about adultery. And even looking at a woman in a lustful way, he's saying it's dangerous. It's dangerous enough that it will send you to hell. Does our society say anything about that? No. What does our society do? do and accept how 
the commercials we see on television, the television shows that we see, scantily clad women, women with barely anything on that leaves nothing to the imagination. That's normal. It is normal for us to see that. Our magazines are filled with the same thing. Our internet, you, anything imaginable you can go hunt down on the internet. And that's just with what? The eye. What does Jesus say about the eye? He said, if you look upon a woman and you have adultery in your heart, you're better off to pull your eye out of your head so that you can go to heaven instead of hell. You think we've marginalized sin in this nation? You think that we're everyone not guilty of it? I think we are. I think we are. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in where? Hell. Hell. We worry so much today, and I'm not saying that, that I have some kind of death wish, but we worry so much in this country today about our possessions, our rights, and those are important, folks. I don't want you to be, think I'm diminishing that at all. But there is no elected official that has the power to destroy my body and soul in hell. None. Not local, not state, not federal. They can take all of our freedoms away. We can be like that young lady that, that uh, uh, Lisa was just talking about, lived in a foreign country where she wasn't allowed, her mother beat her for going to church and learning about Jesus. We may end up someday, and I pray that we don't, we may end up someday back in the, in the, in the confines of a cave or a closet or, or a basement meeting in secret with people, but you still, you know what? Don't matter what kind of power they have, they cannot destroy your body and soul in hell. They can kill us. They can torture us, but they've done that since Jesus Christ was here. And we've allowed ourselves, because of being consensual to sin in our society, to bring us to the point where we are today. So there's where we are. Jesus talks about it many times in chapter 23. If you want to look over, I'm not going to cover them. But he does tell the Pharisees that they're producing sons of hell and that they are sons of hell themselves. Jesus preached on hell. When we accept Christ and when we're baptized, we say he got saved today or he, he come to salvation today. And that word means deliverance or rescue. What? From what? What have we been delivered from? What have we been rescued from when we are saved? Hell. Hell. That's it. That's what we're rescued from. We are rescued from eternal damnation in hell. Look at me at Luke chapter 16. This is the most descriptive, I think, look at what hell is and the description of hell in the, in the New Testament that I can find. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus, some, one that you're familiar with, I know. But I want to read it, and I want you to listen to it, and not just skip over it like we do so many, so many times before. And I've preached a little bit on this in the past. In verse 19, 
And it says, Jesus says, I should say rather, Jesus says this. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. That means he lived really well. Let me just stop. He, he dressed good and he had a lot of money. He was very comfortable and he lived very good. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs from which the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, hell, he lifted up his eyes, being tormented and seeing Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime uh, receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that they may, he may testify unto them, lest they come to this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though rose one from the dead. What's that tell us about hell? Very descriptive. The first and foremost thing is we see there is a separation between heaven and hell. And those that are in hell are forever in hell. And those that are in heaven are forever in heaven. And there's no going back and forth. You're separated from the comfort of God. Abraham, being that great patriarch, is in, in heaven. That's why it's referred that way. Because Abraham, uh, the father, Abraham, they referred to him. He's in heaven. He's comforting those in heaven. What is it that the rich man asked that Lazarus is able to do? Send him down here so that he could dip his finger in water. And I know I've talked about it. Could you imagine being so hot, so tormented, that one drop of water off the tip of a man's finger on your tongue would give you relief? I can't imagine that. And I've been hot. And I've been thirsty before. And I've been in a place that was 115 degrees during the day. And I was never that hot to where I thought, well, just one little drop of water would be great relief to me. But that's what he wanted. And you know something else? It's a permanent condition. He calls it torment. He realizes that there is no end to his condition. It's not going to stop being torment. This is it for him. And he, he's so afraid that his brothers at home is going to end up there. He wants to send Lazarus back, who, who they wouldn't even pay attention to while he was here, and witness to him. But what did Father Abraham say to him? The scriptures is enough. That's me paraphrasing it. 
The Bible is enough. If they won't believe the Bible, they won't believe one coming back from the dead. And it's the same way today. It's the same way today. If people won't be, believe the, the, the Bible, they wouldn't believe somebody being risen from the dead. Hmm, does that sound familiar? Jesus Christ was rose from the dead. They don't believe him today. Hell is a real place. Hell is full of torment. Hell is full of separation. Hell is for, full of misery. And it is eternal, which means it lasts forever. No relief. No relief at all. And that's what we just read. That's not the words of Rob Hale. That's the words of Jesus Christ, who we accept and claim as our Savior. But the, the world that we live in today tries to reduce hell to something that it's not. It's become popular to, to deny the doctrine of hell in three ways. The first one is annihilationism. Annihilationism. I never heard some of this stuff before I started researching this. You know what that means? It means that believers go out of, unbelievers go out of existence when they die. You just, you just poof, you're gone like you never was here. Like a puff of smoke, you're gone. No torment, no suffering, nothing. You just don't exist. Well, that's pretty, pretty good, isn't it? I can live like hell, do all I want to do here, and then when I die, I just don't exist anymore. I have no suffering, for, for no, no torment, no punishment. So that's one way they deny. Another one is universalism. Universalism says that all non-believers are in the end saved. They don't go out of existence. They're just saved. That don't explain what the Bible, what Jesus teaches about everlasting punishment. And then there's a third called inclusivism. Some people will go to hell, but it's the ones that, that heard the gospel and reject the gospel. But if you've never heard the gospel, you won't be accountable. And everybody else, unless you reject the gospel, which you heard, then you're going to go to heaven. That's how we try to slough away hell. They're popular because it feels comfortable. It feels like good because you can make a case for it. So they, they basically reduced it to, the, to hell means you're just not existing anymore. It's not bad. You just don't exist. You're not going to suffer. You just won't, be ex you won't exist anymore. And that's what hell is. And you can translate the word destroy. And you'll see if we've read it already many times, the word destroy in the Bible. And it's used, but it is never the word for annihilating, obliteration, or non-existence. That's not what destroy means. It means to, to pummel, to abuse, to make something useless. That's what destroy means. Revelations chapter 14, I want you to listen to this description of hell. 14 verses 9 through 11. Revelations 14, 9 through 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. That is another description of hell. 
They shall have no rest day or night. Torment. The smoke rises up forever. That's describing hell, folks. It's clear. Now, the Greek word Gehenna, which is a word that comes from the valley of Hinnom, which is just east of Jerusalem a little bit, is, was their city dump. And that is where that they would take all of their refuse, all of their garbage, and go burn it. And it was always burning, like a big pit of fire, hence the term lake of fire. And we might remember this in some ways. I remember years ago, people used to have barrels, burn barrels. It used to be the greatest thrill of my life to go to Mammals and, and go down and set the burn barrel on fire. That's back before we had garbage pickup. But anything that went into that barrel no longer had any usefulness for anything, if we recall. It was trash, garbage, useless, worthy of nothing but being burned. And that's what we have to understand hell is like. Hell is the place where you go, you're useless. You're a soul that is useless for the purpose of God. And you will forever be in that burn barrel, and that burn barrel never goes out. It's always on fire. You're always in torment. There is no relief. There's no relief coming, and there is no hope of relief ever coming for eternity. That is what hell is like, according to the Bible. Matthew chapter 26, and we're about finished up here to give you a little bit of hope. Matthew 26, 24. I'll get there. I'm the right tab. I want you to listen to what Jesus says here toward the very end, right before he begins to suffer. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It, is, it had been good for that man had he not been born. Why would Jesus say that? Because he knows the consequences of hell. He understands the consequences of hell. That's why. Hell is eternal. Hell is a conscious punishment, and there is no way around it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Back to your left just a little bit. 25, 46. And this is, again, the words of Jesus. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus here, finishing his teachings about the talents and those that do things in the name of, of his in the name of Jesus one goes to an eternal reward one goes to eternal punishment so guess what if hell isn't eternal then neither is heaven can't have it both ways if you're going to say hell is non-existent then heaven has to be non-existent because that's what Jesus teaches that there is a heaven and there is a hell and they are both eternal. And that's what we have to decide. We can't, we can't wish one away and we can't say that everyone's going to go to the other. Because that's simply not the truth of what the Bible teaches. Or is Jesus wrong? Maybe he's wrong. Do we need to 
Do we need to let God know that his son's wrong in what he's teaching about hell? Of course, I'm being sarcastic when I say that. This is Jesus Christ, our Savior. All of that I've read today has been in the red letters. That means Jesus spoke these words. Did he get it wrong or have we got it wrong? I'll let you answer that. Sinners who go to hell never repent. And that's what we have to understand. They're going to try to figure out some way around it, away from hell. But they never repent. They continue to rebel. And every description about hell is its retribution for a rebellious life. Whether you reject God or whether you're unrepentant in your life with sin. That retribution for that sinful, rebellious life against God, that hate against God, is hell. And when they go there, they continue to hate God. They continue to rebel against God. They're, they deny Christ. Even in the pits of hell, they, they justified their actions on this earth because of some other circumstance. It's someone else's fault that I'm doing this, just like what we see in our society with many of our young people today. We have Christians walking around in their sin, and Jesus says that they will die in their sin if they don't repent of it, but they are walking around blaming someone else for their actions. There may be people watching or in this room that's in that same state this very minute. You're living in a sinful state, and you blame someone else, and you will not repent of it, and it will cost you dearly. That's what Jesus Christ says. Not me. I'm saying this as a warning because I don't want any of you. I don't want any of your family. I don't want any of your friends. I don't want anyone watching, anyone that's ever going to listen. I don't want you to suffer the eternal damnation of hell and the torment. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you what I've read in this book. Sin has consequences. They're painful, and they're forever. And it's called hell. So I hope that there is no doubt in anyone's mind now if there is a hell. If, if there is a doubt, then I've failed. I've failed in this sermon. If you, if you have any doubts as to the consequences of sin, rejecting Jesus Christ, being unrepentant of your sin, then I have failed. We're going to sing one other thing. I want to say. Is hell a concept? Did I answer that question pretty good? Just nod your head. Y'all. Right. Hell is not a concept, folks, but the world believes it is a concept. And sadly, so sadly, many, many Christians, people that identify as a Christian, believe that it's just a concept. Why? Think on that this week. Pray on that this week. We're going to sing this hymn of invitation this morning. And we sing these hymn of invitations, folks. For those that are listening, those that may be here that don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. We stand here and we preach the gospel. We sing these songs that gives us hope. Not to gratify myself. Not to gratify those that hear the singing. We offer this invitation each and every Sunday, each and every time we meet, so that you might have heard the truth and you have decided, you know what? I am not going to spend eternity in hell. 
God has made a way for me to be rescued from that punishment. I am going to choose to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's why we offer an invitation. It's not so we can throw up another number on the tally board. It's not so that we can go out and buy another Bible and give another certificate and have a little ceremony. Those are all great things. Ultimately, why do you think the angels in heaven rejoice when one comes to salvation? Because they have been rescued from hell. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with a sin. You're struggling with coming uh, up with enough fortitude to repent of a sin that you know is your fault because all of our sin is our fault. Maybe you need to do something about that, folks. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you. And that's why we sing an invitation hymn as well. We're going to sing number 358, where he leads me. First in the third verse of this hymn, if you have a decision to make, whether you choose heaven over hell this day, and that's what you do, if you're unsaved and you don't accept and you hear the word, you are saying, I choose heaven or I choose hell, is according to how you respond to these invitations. And if you have unrepentant sin in your life, you're making the same decision, folks. You're making the same decision about judgment. That's what the Bible just said. It's what I just read. Where he leads me. Where's Jesus leading you today? We're going to sing the first and the third verse. If you have a decision to make, come as we stand and sing. Please.